This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, I am really excited because today we are sitting down with someone who understands the life coaching and coaching industry better than anyone I know. Tony, are you ready to get into some coaching today? Let's get it. I mean, for all we know, by the end of this, you may be a coach. Maybe, Maybe. honestly, but honestly, I love the fact that I can sit in front of, you know, two coaches right now, so I'm ready. Let's do it. You're about to absorb a lot. Yes. Well, I'm here with Cynthia Garcia, who is a life coach and CEO and founder of the Institute for Transformational Nutrition. Thanks for joining me. My friend, Cynthia. Hi, Mike. It's so nice to be here. Yeah, you too. I'm, I, uh, uh, we spoke a while ago about you coming on this podcast because we share a lot of the same beliefs and interests and passions. And I wanted to make sure that I had you on this podcast because I know a lot of people out there want to be a coach or don't believe they can be a coach, even though they can, right? or are skeptical of being a coach. And there's so many different types of coaches. Yeah. But before we dig into that, I think your story is really interesting of how you developed and got into this as a career stemming back from your childhood, right? Sure. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's, um, I, it's coaching saved my life if we're just going to get right into the nitty gritty, which sounds pretty dramatic, but it's actually true. So I grew up in, um, in, in complete poverty. Like we had no money. I remember we'd go to bed early at night because we didn't have food for dinner. And in that type of environment, you know, there was a lot, my dad was an alcoholic. He was a drug addict. There was a lot of abuse, uh, physical abuse, mental, emotional abuse. I was sexually abused starting at the age of five and just didn't have a lot of options. You know, I didn't have like the rich uncle waiting around the corner or someone to pull me out of that. But I knew at a very young age that this was not supposed to be the life I was living. And I don't know, Mike, if it's that I needed to believe that just to be able to survive the day to day, which was so traumatic. And you just never knew what was waiting around the corner. Right. You never knew when my parents would just erupt. There was a lot of domestic violence. And, and do you, you have just, siblings? I do. I have a younger sister. She's four years younger. 
Got it. Yeah. So it's just very volatile. Um, and so what I would do is I turned to books and I would read and I would, that's the way I learned about like what I call the real world, like what's possible out there in the real world. And I started to transport myself into those worlds, right? I started creating a new reality for myself just to cope with the one that I was in and really quickly learned, oh, wait, this is, you know, I, I know now the words for it. It's narrative psychology, it's neuroscience, but at the time it was a survival mm. mechanism. Right. And so what I got really interested in is how do I take this vision of my life that I have? And we all have a vision to some extent, right, regardless of your circumstances. But how do I make that a reality? And that's where coaching really came into play. Well, let me ask you, yeah. and did your sister turn out similar to you where she's really passionate about this? How how did her childhood affect her? Yeah, very differently. So it's really interesting. As soon as I could, like I scraped, I saved. I started working when I was 15 years old, started saving my money. And I went as far away as I could get. I grew up in the Appalachian Mountains in the southwestern oh part of Virginia. Oh my that is a wild. It's- <laughs> that is, I mean, I've been watching on this YouTube channel called White Underbelly. I don't know if you've ever seen it, but they no. do interviews with people who are uh, Appalachian. Is that the right word? Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, In West Virginia. Oh, yeah, yeah. And there, I mean, there's some families, this is dramatic, but some are inbred families. Oh, yeah, for sure. Drugs, just- There's like not a lot of laws even. It's really unclear what the city is. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's tough. It's, it's funny. There's a running joke that for 20 bucks and a six pack of beer, you can make someone disappear in the Appalachian oh mountains, um, which isn't really a joke, but you know, we laugh it off, but yeah, it's a really interesting area and not a lot of opportunity, a lot of, uh, cold mines, um, that have been shut down, you know, many, many years ago. And, um, you know, you do what you do to survive in that situation, right. Where there's really no opportunity. So what, how did that affect your sister growing up? Yeah. So back to that. So I left as soon as I saved enough money and I went as far as I could get without leaving the country, (laughs) literally went to Los Angeles where we are now. Um, And my sister went across the street. So, but what, something else that also happened is when my sister was 15, she got pregnant and she had this precious little baby at 16 years old. Um, And then unfortunately when the baby was two, my sister was in a car accident and the baby didn't make it. So it was just completely devastating for our whole family. Um, But unfortunately, what happened was she had a traumatic brain injury, uh, not to mention like lots of broken bones that are, you know, her arms and legs have pins and it's it's really unfortunate. Um, But the, you know, this brain injury really prevented her from kind of getting outside of herself and really taking advantage of a lot of opportunities that I feel she really had. And so she stayed really close to home. She's across the street from my parents. Now, do you have a relationship with your family still? Um, yes and no. Uh, so I do have a relationship with my sister. I love her dearly. My dad, same. Um, my mother is a, is bipolar, um, narcissistic bipolar, um, disorder. And, uh, we never really saw eye to eye. She just, um, you know, she has her own challenges and opportunities. And I struggled with that for a really long time. Uh, you know, she tended to be very physically abusive, mentally, emotionally abusive. And at some point, you know, like we tend to do, I 
tried to help and I would try to have her see her opportunities and try to coach her mm-hmm. along. But unfortunately, as you know, being a coach, people have to be ready and they have to be willing. And if and they they're not, be not your family, and they're going to be on your family. Can we just tell the truth about that? <laughs> yeah, our so, families don't listen to us. It, not at all. Uh, so a few years ago, uh, I saw the cycle repeating when she there was an incident that happened with my daughter. I have a little daughter now and it happened in front of me. And that was kind of the breaking point. You know, you got to end that cycle what at some it? point. I don't really want to go into all the personal things, um, but I can tell you that it was just a really volatile situation. So have you ever been around people? I know you have who they will p- push your buttons just to trigger you to get a reaction. And that feeds them like that reaction feeds them. They just, they feed off of that. She, she does that. And so she was trying to get that reaction out of me, which has kind of been her modus operandi for many years. And I wouldn't give it to her. And so she just kept getting more and more riled and, you know, the F bombs and and my daughter was there and I thought, okay, I can't have can't this. I can't do this and anymore. Is your dad still around? He is. Yeah. And um, they've been married for like 45 years. So they're still together. They're still together. Like, believe it or him? not. I do. Yeah, I do. My, you know, my dad has his own <laughs> through so much stuff to, to unpack here. But my dad was in a car accident uh, outrunning the, the local county sheriffs or police uh, cops when he was young and, and was drinking. And he ran straight into a tree. It threw him through the windshield. The car caught on fire. His friend that was in the car died. He was had severe burns over a large amount of his body. He died like two or three times on the way to hospital. They said, you'll never be more, nothing, any, anything more than a vegetable. Um, he recovered. He's he's always been, um, you know, had a limp and, and struggled. He has a metal plate in his head. Are the head. roads just terrible in the Of course they are. Yeah, it's I of mean, course. what are these? Like, <laughs> They're just like little tiny mountain roads, you know, super curvy. Um, it's funny. I remember taking driver's ed in high school. And one of the things you're supposed to learn for your driver's test is like how to get off the road and get back on, right? Like you run off the road, how to how to correct yourself. But, it, but here, if you run off the road, you don't get back on. You just go over a hill <laughs> or hit a tree or something. So he he did that. And that's what limited his ability to, to work. And then my mom, you know, would stay home with him. Sometimes she would work in, in factories and, you know, when they would open in our small town and bring in some money. But other than that, we lived off of, you know, welfare and my dad's disability checks. Um, but they were very volatile. That was a, it was a, a really intense relationship. He, he shot her one time in, in front of me, um, mm. trying, he tried several times, but never succeeded in, in murdering her. So it was, yeah, very volatile. And you, this is a very different what, show than what you're No, this, this is helpful. And at what, <laughs> at what point, because I come across a lot of people, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, who are still blaming their parents and they're still blaming their childhood. Sure. They're still saying, well, my mom did that and mom's not even alive anymore. Right. Yeah. At what point did you stop blaming them? Like, like, do you remember a moment in your life where you took your own life into your own hands because a lot of people yeah. experience terrible things and can't get out of it. Yeah, for sure. I remember the the turning point a hundred percent. And this is why I say coaching saved my life. And to be clear, I, I did blame them for a really long time. And I did play the victim role for a really long time. And I thought, Oh, woe is me. You know, how could I possibly have a great life? Like I remember saying to my dad, the night he was, was shooting at my mother, he had shot her once she was off in the darkness and we were standing 
standing on the porch. It's like three in the morning and he's just shooting into the darkness. And I, I remember saying to him, like, how am I ever supposed to have a normal relationship? Like, I've never seen anything. Like, do you realize, like, even at that age, mm. I'm processing that this is affecting me. And I remember I said to him, when is this all just going to end? And he just looked at me stone cold, straight in the eye and said, in just about a minute. And I was mm. like, well, because I knew what he meant. Um, and so I think I was aware of these things and I did blame them for a while. I got really into drugs and alcohol once I kind of escaped that environment because I didn't have another mechanism to cope. And that led to a lot of serious health issues. I was diagnosed with chronic fatigue syndrome, uh, clinical depression, which I had had, you know, pretty much my entire life, mm. um, anxiety disorders. Uh, and I started trying to actually fix myself. I went to trainers, nutritionists, doctors, but nothing was working. Like, I had short-term memory loss. Uh, I could barely get out of bed. I was exhausted from morning to night. And at the time, I was working as a model and a television host. And then I started not getting jobs. Yeah, Cynthia, you're very attractive. And I... Well, thanks. You know, I think you coming out to Los Angeles at such a young age. So young. How old were you? I was like 20... 23 and yeah. just were like, I'm going to make it out there. Yeah. And listen, I came from the Appalachian mountains, right? You and then like all the, of a sudden I'm like. You were like the Appalachian hot girl. I it mean, was the Appalachian I... hot girl summer coming to Los Angeles. <laughs> you really found your own discipline and thought, I want to get into coaching and mental health. And this yeah. is kind of because you were getting lost on drugs. And yeah. And I've always played the long game. Like, I think that's really important. And unfortunately, I see a lot of like influencers these days um, getting caught up in like the heat of the moment and they don't think about the long game, mm. which I think is really unfortunate. And then, and then I see them crash and burn and I've worked with, with a few of them. Um, but yeah, back then, I just, I knew that I needed to focus on that, but I was also very sick and I started not booking any jobs because of what I looked like, right? My appearance was, and I was a hot mess. I mean, I was. I had cellulite in places. I didn't know you could get it. My hair was breaking and falling out. I had this horrible acne, like all over my face. It was down my neck and like on my chest. It was, it was insane. And so I kept going if to all of these people. you were an Italian people. dish, you would have been a big zitty. <laughs> uh, too bad the comedy store yeah, shut down. Geez, my bad. <laughs> They'll open um, back up though soon. Don't worry. So, so basically you were, you, everything was falling apart. And then yeah. what was the, what was the moment for you that yeah. So I, I hit rock bottom and that, that was really it. And I'll tell you how it happened. So I woke up one morning, I still remember this morning, opened my curtains on my one window in my little studio apartment mm -hmm. in Hollywood, uh, which was Hollywood sounds glamorous. It was not just for the, it's still not, it's still not it's for still the record. Not. Yeah. There's nothing glamorous about Hollywood at all. No, no, you right, no, Tony? No. It's, it's not. It's, it's they, pretty they, rough. They, they give an illusion on television and movies and it's yeah, just it, like, Hollywood right? is nothing like it looks. Hollywood now <laughs> is like dirty. Yeah. People are like sausaged in to like very small yeah. apartments. Yeah. It's that's where people work in the street at night. I mean, oh, it's, yeah. it's a whole different world than what they show mm -hmm. on TV. Beverly Hills. Mm. That's a different story. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. Hollywood. Yeah. Yeah. I used to watch drug deals go down outside my windows. Oh, yeah. Like, you can people watch for so days crazy. in Hollywood. But you also like <laughs> there's a lot of like if you watch people in Hollywood at first, your eyes are kind of like. 
opening. Oh, that's interesting. But then you find yourself, your face starts pulling in like you're sucking on a lemon because yeah. you're just so confused by what's going on in front of you where someone's like it's pooping on the side of the road and yeah. you're just like, what is going on? So it goes from like, oh, that's interesting to <laughs> that's disgusting. <laughs> very quickly. <laughs> it's very much a, a culture shock. So what pulled you out of it. that? <clears throat> so I get up this morning, I open my windows, I said, and I think I felt a little bit better that morning. And I thought, oh, maybe something that I'm doing is working. Because I had like a few, I had $388 left in the bank. I knew no one here. I wasn't working. And that's very scary for yeah. a city like Los Angeles, all of my quote unquote friends had deserted me as soon as I didn't go out and party anymore. As soon as I was too sick for that, they just kind of bounced. Um, and so I thought, okay, maybe today's the day. And I get in the shower and I'm taking a hot shower and I find a lump in one of my breasts. And then I found a lump in the other one. And that was my breaking point. And I still get super emotional talking about it. And um, and I remember, so when I was growing up, we had one of those big old, my grandparents had one of those big old TVs that took like three men to get into the house and mm. you had to put it where you're going to leave it for the next 10 years because you couldn't move it. You know, when you turn those off, it kind of went from blackness to this little mm. pinhole of light. That's what happened that morning. And I remember I just sat down in the shower and I put my arms around myself and I just started rocking just like you'd rock mm. a child. And I don't know how long I sat there. I don't remember. But what I remember next was that the water was really cold and I was shaking. And so I got out and I put a towel around myself and I just, I was just in a daze. I sat Tony, there get her some cleaning uh, all night. You? I mean, um, I, yeah. I would, I'm just stuck. <laughs> no, 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 I'm okay. I'm okay. Sure. Um, I'm okay. Thank you, Tony. Um, and so I just sat there. I was just in a zone the whole day and the day turned into the night and it was around three in the morning and I found myself in a little corner on the floor and I had um, a handful of pills that I'd been given to try to sleep and cope with all of my anxiety and depression mm -hmm. and uh, a, a Dr. Pepper. And um, I was, I was done. And I thought, you know, they can't say I haven't tried. They can't say I haven't given it a good shot. They'll see the money. They'll see everything I've tried. And, um, and I was done. And in that moment, it's like, it's kind of like I heard this voice inside just because I started thinking like, why is this happening to me? Right? Like, why have I gone through all of this stuff only to end up like right here again, kind of feeling like a victim, right? Just playing it out. And I was angry. I was angry at myself for getting into that position, thinking that I could make something in my life. I was angry at God. I thought, what kind of God does this to someone their whole life? Yeah. I was angry at the people I went to for help that didn't help me. And as I sit there and I'm like talking to myself, I hear this voice say, you know, this isn't happening to you. It's happening for you. And I hear that all the time now, but back in the day, I'd never heard that. And I thought, okay, well now my voices are answering themselves. Like I'm really, really struggling. Right. And I thought, well, what is it for? Like, I remember saying that out loud. Like, what is it for? If that's true, what is all of this for? Um, and the answer just immediately flooded back. And it wasn't like I heard voices out loud. They were inside of me. And it just said, you know, so you can make a difference. So you can help others. So you can go through this journey. And I thought, that's what I'll do. Mm. And I thought, there's no way I'm going to go through this whole life and just have it end here when I could find a way out of this and maybe help just one more person like me who just wanted answers and, and solutions. And so, and that's when I turned to, to coaching. I didn't know what coaching was mm. at the time. I actually got into nutrition because I needed to physically heal my body. I thought, well, that's the first step. And um, so started going back to school, learning all these things really quickly realized that the nutrition coaching industry 
industry was outdated. It didn't take into account the psychological trauma I had encountered. Uh, it didn't take into effect the, the spiritual side of things, which I consider connection, right? Like relationships, like relationship with you, with mm -hmm. loved ones, with, with myself, right? Finding my own self-worthiness. And so I started putting all those things together, healed my own body, long, very, very long story short, and started working with clients to just really pay it forward. And, and that's my mission. My mission now is to inspire others. To so how did you get past kind of the imposter syndrome of doing this work? Because mm -hmm. a lot of people have that nagging voice mm -hmm. when they start doing this work or want to do this work. Yeah. They forget we're all humans and we all have struggles and challenges. Yeah. How did you get past getting into this and going, okay, this is in alignment with my purpose. I'm really passionate about it and I can do it. Well, let's tell the truth. <laughs> there are still times it comes up for me. You know, I don't, do you still experience imposter syndrome ever these days? I do. Um, yeah. I do when I'm trying something new. Yeah. Same. I do. I get imposter syndrome if I'm trying to control the outcome. Same. And I can't see that like the universe or God or whatever I'm believing that day, right? <laughs> changes all the time. It just rotates. And, and when I'm, when I feel like I'm not being authentic, you yeah, know, and that's yeah. part of why, what I write about and the yeah. work I do. And I try to express myself as authentically as possible, even if that's not what someone would want me to be Yeah, because yeah. that voice or that anxiety mm -hmm. is painful and it sucks yeah and it isolates you and it makes you believe that you're not capable but no one's telling you you're not capable but yourself exactly and usually it's a story, it's a story. yeah and if we don't share that story with other people then i think it can get louder and louder yeah and then when we start to compare ourselves to others it gets louder and louder. And and we'll get into a little bit about comparing yourself to others, the reality versus, you know, truth versus fiction with all of this in this world. Yeah. But I have to imagine when you first started and in getting into nutrition, you first kind of healed yourself yes. through going yeah. to getting help as much as you could and being a sponge for all of that. Yeah. And then at what point did you get into, okay, I'm going to start helping others after yeah. that moment uh, of you in the shower? Yeah. And did you, ha you had breast cancer? I did not. So uh, yeah, just thank you for it. Let's close that loop. So what they were fibrous cysts in both of my breasts and they're not, they're not really sure even still what, what causes that. It's just a disorder. A lot of women suffer from mm. that. I had no idea because I knew nothing about health. Like I didn't know a protein from a carb. I didn't care. Right. right. Until I needed to care until I hit rock bottom. You knew from a downer. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that I had down pat. Right. But the other stuff, not so much. Yeah. Yeah. So no, so it, it definitely took, it was a lot of trial and error. I didn't come out, you know, batting. I don't know. What do you bat? For, <laughs> it was a really bad example to go down. Um, anyways, I didn't start out like just getting totally. it. And it, it was trial and error. And at first I focused just on the physical aspect, you know, like what do I eat? What do I eat? How do I exercise? But really quickly realized that food alone will never fix us. 
right? Mm -hmm. And again, it's the trauma, it's the psychological aspect. And so I dove deep into that and did a lot of healing work, rewrote a lot of old stories that I was telling myself where I moved from being the victim to saying, okay, but how were those things serving me? You know, how did they serve me? I could say, well, you know, when I was young, we didn't have any money. So if a button fell off, I didn't get a new one. I just learned to sew. That, that's great, right? Like I was a problem solver. Right. I can read people within 10 seconds of meeting them because I, I had to. It was a survival mechanism, right? Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of strengths. It's not just about like, oh, these terrible things happened. But it's like, what can you together from that? What obstacles you turn to opportunities? And how 100%. Can you go yeah. from being a victim to a victor. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And so just kept walking that road, getting better and better. And then finally found this model of nutrition that where I combined physical nutrition with mental nutrition and spiritual nutrition, and I called it transformational nutrition. And then I started coaching people around it. My coaching practice. Well, blew tell up. me about your first client. Because my first client, <laughs> they sent me home and asked for their money back. Okay. So this, this person was close. Um, it was terrible. I had no idea what I was doing right. because coaching, the coaching was, they didn't teach you how to coach. Like I was in a clinical nutrition program. I had and no idea. And it's a muscle that is so oh different. Gosh, so you different. know, a lot of people, part of what we learn in school for alcohol and drug abuse counseling was it, there's a school of thought that believes it actually helps the client more by them not knowing you're in recovery. But a lot yeah. of people who get into the industry of helping alcoholics and drug addicts want to use their story mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, as a way to build trust. Yeah. The challenge is how can you build trust with someone? Because if you div divulge too much of yourself, then all of a sudden the other person can go, well, I wasn't that bad. That wasn't my drug of choice. Right. I can't really relate to that. <laughs> so there's actually more potential. It's true. Right. Unless you've it's been true. doing this a while. So your first client, you said, do you remember Were they, were they paying you or was it like free? <laughs> yeah, no, it was free. It was, it was uh, a friend. We're no longer friends. And uh, <laughs> again, I was trained very clinically. So I remember walking in and her goal was to lose weight. And I pulled out the BMI, like the body mass index, and I put it down on paper and I said, okay, based on your height and weight, you're here. And it, of course it like skewed. And there's so many flaws with this thing, by the way, which is a whole other show, right. I feel like. Um, but she looked at me and she's like, yes, I realize I'm morbidly obese, but thanks for pointing that out. And I was like, ah, damn. Like, it was terrible. It was, it was just Did you still awful. work with her after that? No, of course not. Would I, you work with me? <laughs> I, I made so many mistakes. I almost mistakes. feel like that's what they'll do at 24-Hour Fitness if I went in for a consult <laughs> for the first time. Like, it reminds me of back when I would go to gyms and they were like, included in this session right? is a free personal trainer session. <laughs> yeah, and then you end up sitting down with someone who typically just likes to work out themselves right, and needed right, a job. Right. A bit younger, tucked in shirt. If they're a male, so what are you, what are you trying to do? Uh, well, you know, I'm trying to, uh, you know, build some muscle and lean out. How's your diet? Yeah. Well, I think I, well, what would you eat today? You're just like, what is going on yeah, here? Yeah, yeah, But it's, it sounds like you went back to kind of traditional nutrition. 
I did because that's how I was trained, right? right? No one taught me like real coaching skills. And then I was like, okay, this is not going to work. I was, mm-hmm. I was so embarrassed. I felt horrible because all I wanted to do was help people, right? I just didn't have the tools to know how to share information with them. It's, I mean, that trainer example, it's kind of like you going to a trainer and saying, I want six pack ads and them going, me too. And you're like, wait, well, I'm, <laughs> I'm in the wrong place <laughs> right. here, right? And so it was a lie. I mean, I took, I went back to school. I took, I mean, I've done every program you can imagine from Cornell to DePaul. Like I studied everything. And, I get my and hands you've, on. you've gone to these conferences. How many conferences do you think you've gone to of coaching <laughs> oh events? And- I, I mean, I've lost count. Like, hundreds hundreds serious oh yeah a hundred percent it's it's insane and 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 you you have your own school now yeah and you also have had clients you've been doing this over 17 years like you've you know all the inner workings of uh what you've seen work what hasn't worked yeah and what do you think are kind of the best types of people to end up going to your school Mm -hmm to become a nutrition coach? Yeah, Um, that's a great question. So our school is really kind of like, there's some starter health coaching schools, but our school is kind of considered like the Harvard of health coaching. And so a lot of people who are really serious about coaching, who want to dive deeper and understand that, you know, they appreciate an education that combines not just physical nutrition, but also mental and spiritual nutrition. They see the role that mental health plays. They know the importance of that. They understand the importance of solid relationships, including the one with yourself, as I shared earlier, Um, those people who really want to make a difference. You know, you asked me earlier about imposter syndrome and there are still days like like you when I'm doing something new that I'm like, ooh, who am I? What am I thinking? I don't know. Um, But really, so I'll tell you a quick story. Uh, Our our mutual friend, Dr. Phil, I was launching um, my first book on his show and I'm backstage and I'm so nervous. Like I'm ready to just I know the feeling because it's uh there's so much spontaneity in in it you never know and you got to be casual and not thinking yeah. about yourself right that and I was I was all wrapped up in me right and I'm backstage and I'm thinking and we, I'd done a whole trial pilot with this program that I wrote this book that I wrote so I knew it worked and it was based on transformational nutrition something I'd done for many many years it was a huge book what was it pink, what, pink, pink method pink method yeah yeah it did super super well we helped a ton of people but I'm backstage and I'm thinking Mike I'm like what if I say something wrong what if I say something stupid what if I fall off the stage you never know Everything, right yeah and this I didn't I was so caught up in my own me that I didn't see this woman coming up beside of me. And she said, excuse me, I, like, I, I don't, I don't want to bother you. I just, I just wanted to thank you. And I'm like, wait, for, for what? And she said, you saved my life. And it turns out she, and I was completely jolted out of my own reality. And I said, tell me more. And she was very overweight and she had a heart issue. And her doctor had said in three years, if you don't lose this weight, you won't be here anymore. Mm. And she had two small children. And she said, so I just want to thank you. You saved my life. And in that moment, like immediately, it was no longer about me. And that's what I still use to this day. I pull back that story because I realized in that moment that it was about the message, not about the me. Mm. And what I did is I went out and it wasn't about me. I didn't care. I thought, well, if I fall off stage, I'll just walk back about up. This message, is not difficult. not about the me. I love that. Right. So it's about showing up and serving. And what do you have that can help other people? It's not about me. It's not about you. It's about the work and how you can can share that with others. So that's that's really how I deal with that, mm. even to this day, right? So 
the, in terms of your school and, and there's a lot of schools out there, there's a lot of coaches out there. So there's yeah. two things. One is someone who needs a coach, right? right. So we, we just launched the cast centers, uh, a 90 day program called next step coaching for anyone that's looking it. to take a next step in their life that just feels stuck, that doesn't need treatment that, you know, our, our first group was last night. It's fantastic. It's all done remotely. And we have uh, one of our coaches guide it, but there's like a curriculum for us helping people who want to take that next step in their life, whatever they're stuck with. So they have accountability support and what have you. And we're one of millions of types of coaching programs. And you know a lot more about coaching programs because there's a few things I want to talk about. One is the different coaching programs and offerings that exist out there and what you've seen, Mm -hmm. Uh, because that's always kind of been a little weird for me, as you know, since I've entered into more of this public, I've always been a coach, but I never realized it was about me being a coach. Right. So like, (laughs) as soon as it became about like my brand and my message will help you. (laughs) That's when I probably have had some imposter syndrome a little bit because I'm like, Like it just goes against my training that I've had that suddenly I am trying to sell somebody on solutions and answers. And it's it's been a a real growing process for me. And and, and you're definitely someone I would lean into and be like, help me work this through. Um, But what what are you finding out there? Like, because there's it's the fastest growing industry people yeah. search the term life coach it's twice huge. as much as psychotherapist on the internet yep. people are looking for life coaches so can you talk through kind of the different models that are out there for sure. everyone yeah for sure and you asked me too and i got a little off track um about imposter syndrome but you said you know like who's a great person to be a coach and i think those people who are really willing to put the message before the me mm. um, coaching is not about you And sometimes that's hard for people to kind of wrap their head around that. That doesn't mean that you can't turn it into an amazing career. You know, you you bring up a great point because I imagine coaching before social media was a lot different different. than it is today. Yeah, totally. I almost feel like coaching before it it, it was like you had clients and you had a successful business and it was a lot of word of mouth. Totally. Now it's flipped. Now it's more about the coach than the clients when it used to be more about the clients than the coach, right? And is that because of social media? I think so. I think that has a a huge, it plays a huge role. I mean, you know, we've sat and kind of Mm -hmm. gone through it and we've sent each other things back and forth. Like, did you see this? Can you believe this? I've commented even on a few coaches. I know you have. (laughs) Some guy put this, it came on my feed on Instagram and it was like, you know, are you looking to make a million dollars and work 10 hours a week? And are you sitting there really unhappy in your day-to-day job? And then like, I, I, I think I commented and said, how the hell are you the guy who's going (laughs) to help? Like, what the hell are you? To me, it like baffles me, but obviously he's putting a lot of ads out there because it works. It works. With getting people. Yeah. And 
But we all, that often plays on people's fear of not being enough themselves, right? And so when I learn that, oh, I can be a coach and I can be this celebrity coach and I can stand out and I can be an influencer, then they're just playing on those people's egos, but not necessarily their willingness or their desire to help other people So how do you find the balance? Like, how do you find the balance of of needing to kind of be known in order to get clients and helping people? It's a great question. And for me, helping people comes first. And you and I have talked about this and I'm just like, I have such a hard time like putting myself out there in a big way on social media um, because it's, and even when I do, I'm teaching, I'm sharing. You know what I feel like you should do, Cynthia, Tell my me opinion. everything. Mike. All right, let me, let me tell you what I think you should do. <laughs> I'm giving you a should. Give it to me. Which I don't want to shit all over you. Don't shit all over me. Yeah. Now. Your story is amazing. And I don't, think but when someone sees you you're 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 very organized i know yeah. from my experiences of interacting <laughs> with you uh you're a beautiful woman which i think that uh can be a good thing or a bad thing uh-huh. because um some people mo- may go well cynthia has that because she's beautiful and you know you're like people oh, yeah. have- i've had people say like you were born with a silver spoon in your mouth right and I'm right like, oh, if you only knew <laughs> but i feel like your your story and your background you should lean more with yeah like i think the more you show the truth of your life and yeah. what's gone on the more then people get you and can and and not that you need this, but I just think your story is so important. I mean, millions yeah. of people in this country and the world have grown up in terrible circumstances. And it's tremendously inspiring to know that it's possible mm-hmm. and that you can take your pain and turn it into purpose. And a lot of people, I get a lot of messages from people who feel stuck mm-hmm. and who want to turn their pain into purpose and they just don't know how. And I think that's such a gift that you can put out there more. You know, I think it would be very cool to get like a video content piece where you're back in the Appalachian mountains mm. and you're showing exactly not, not saying you have to go visit your family, <laughs> but shed some light on it because until I started watching these YouTube videos, I didn't understand. Like, do you know much about the Appalachian Mm-mm. culture? <laughs> no. It is crazy, you, Tony. Tony. <laughs> He's it like, is, I'm not going. <laughs> it is like, if I had the option of growing up in, uh, I don't know, like somewhere in LA that's, a, that's not a great neighborhood or Appalachian Mountain, I probably would go for somewhere more dodgy in LA. Wow. Appalachian Mountains, it's just, it's a, I've been doing a lot of research. That's, it's ironic. Because so even when you told me that before, yeah, I didn't really know what that meant. Because it's not like there's a lot of thriving, growing, you know, it's not like they're suddenly in hip hop. It's not like they're suddenly in culture. They're not influencing fashion. Right. Like, I don't even know what they influence. They're living under a rock or uh, practically like it in, in, in. Well, and let's be fair. Right. So um, I'm not saying everyone, but well, uh, no, it? not everyone. Of okay. course, <laughs> no, of course not. It's it's not everyone. And and there are some really good people who live there with really strong values. For sure. And um, there are, you know, the in, inbred thing that absolutely happens. It is by no means the entire region. No. And um, the problem is there are there's just no opportunity. That's what I'm saying. There's no jobs. It's really unfortunate. There's no, no jobs. But there are 
are a lot of drugs. Right. There's a lot of opioids, and that is the biggest. But there's issue literally with this like area. I was I was uh, researching it, and it's so hard to get an income. It's so hard. It's so and hard. a good education. Yeah, but remember again, like I said earlier, before like they had all the coal mines, right? And that's just not a thing right. anymore. I mean, most of the mines are dried up. I had family members that that would work in them, um, and and you know the factories that might have been there at one time have all shut down. Like there's just no opportunity. I mean, even when I lived there, it was an hour drive to but the nearest grocery store. I think that store. story. I think that story you need to put out more. Well, it's funny you should say that because. I'm working on a memoir, as you know, and right. and leaning much more into that. So the great thing at, at ITN, which is our the Institute of Transformational Nutrition, is um, I have an amazing team, and you we've talked about yeah. teams and how important they are, and um, they're really doing the heavy lifting now. I adore them. I could not do this without them. They are a hundred percent everything, and they're really running the show now. And so I'm on to other endeavors, which includes you know helping people become. I call it self made, which you know we're not talking Kylie Jenner self made. No offense to Kylie Jenner. Um, she's right. doing her thing. God love her, uh, as we say in the South. But it's about becoming self-made, like finding the strength inside yourself, turning, like you said, your obstacles into your opportunities, right? right? And, and really creating a life so good, you're only jealous of yourself. Like that's what I'm really passionate about helping people do. So I am leaning more into that now that, you know, the Institute's up and running and and I'm working on this new book and some some yeah. other fun projects to come. Yeah, I have, I have I, a question. Think, yeah, go I ahead. I have a question as well before because you you talked about your past. Yeah. What would you tell someone who's had a tough a tough uh, What would you tell someone who had a tough childhood who tends to blame their parents or tends to like blame their past mm -hmm. for the problems that they have today? Yeah. Well, I would say first of all that it's that it's normal. Like, of course you do, right? Like, of course you do. They're your parents, and you thought they would look out for you and teach you these things. Of course you do. Um, and you know that it's not you are capable without that, right? Without that support. Um, blaming someone, whether it's your parents, your ex boyfriend or girlfriend or whoever, that's a distraction from the real work that you're put here to do. That's what I believe. I also believe very strongly that everything is possible. And I would say that as well to someone um, and that you're worthy because you are, because you were born that way, mm -hmm. right? Because it's really easy to get caught up in that victim mentality and blame others. And you can, as long as you realize that's not going to get you any closer to where you want to be, right? Mm. So it'll serve as a distraction. But when you can turn that around, rewrite the story and shift the perspective and take away what you've learned and use that to grow, that's when you really start to come alive. And that's when you see that everything is possible that you want to create. There's no reason I should be sitting here, guys, like no reason at like, I had no money. I had no opportunities. I knew no one, right? It was just putting one foot in front of another and taking the next right step. So, so I'm not special. Anyone can do this. Right. And, and, and that's the thing is in, in terms of anyone can become a coach if their intention and purpose, yes. I yes. mean, you can still be intentionally, Hey, I want to be a famous coach. You can still do it. Sure. And we're not to say that, uh, the, you shouldn't do it. I mean, to each their own, right? Of course. But if somebody is wanting to, you know, be in their purpose and want to coach people, yeah. what are kind of 
and a lot of people that contact me, they don't have the resources. They don't have a lot of funding yeah. to to do this. And you didn't yeah. either. I didn't. No, I put my first um, certification on three different credit cards because I didn't have a big enough credit limit on any one of them. So I called the school and I was like, can you just charge three different ones? And can you not charge the last one until next month? Because I had a residual check coming that I was going to pay it off. But I think that your investment in yourself is the greatest thing you can invest in. And certainly an investment in an education that's going to allow you to improve and get better and create this life that you want. I mean, what else is more valuable than that? What are these packages people are selling though? So someone goes to a conference yeah, and uh, I have not gone, I've I've spoken at some events, but I've never been able to get through like a three-day event. Yeah. I've tried, (laughs) but I was like this even in the addiction industry with like conferences. Yeah. I think I have a hard time after a day. I'm almost like, I want to go hang out with some people I'm curious about and like get dinner and these conferences that go on that are kind of the bigger coaching conferences that a lot of people attend. What is the model? You know, so there are a few different models, um, but typically you attend these conferences for a really low price. Um, and while you're there, there's a bunch of different speakers that they bring in. And those that, that pay to be on the stage often, right? Sometimes. Yeah, sometimes they do. Sometimes they don't. Okay. But what they do is they sell from the stage. So they'll sell their programs. They'll teach you how to speak, how to sell your services, how to uh, create a personal brand, how to become an influencer, all of those things. Right. And so what often will happen is they might split the money that they make with the producer of the conference. So they don't pay to speak, but they can split the proceeds with them. Not to say that all of this is a bad thing. It's just the model. Um, And then oftentimes, you know, you can uh, sign up to be a coach, which gets us into a whole other conversation. But so when people, when, when someone goes to something, when you say it's a low price, like what's a typical price of a conference? 47, 97. Some even offer free tickets just to get you in the door. It's usually around three days. Three days. Yeah. But they know that on the, they'll make it up on the back end, right? Through selling the programs. A lot of them sell certifications there. Some programs you can even get certified in those three days to become a coach. Okay. Which, so I got you. you. Know. So, so 47 to $97, you attend it. And then are different people typically selling from the stage different programs on yeah. that last day? Mm-hmm. And what is the range of prices for those programs? Oh gosh, I've seen it range. Like what have you seen? Yeah, everything. I mean, I could tell you. Uh, gosh, I've seen it range from four ninety seven, four hundred ninety seven, up to thirty thousand dollar mastermind programs, and and everything in between. Truly, nineteen ninety seven is a sweet spot for a lot of people for some reason. One thousand so, nine hundred ninety seven. Exactly. Yeah. So like two grand. And what are people getting for that typically? It ranges. Um, how to create a personal brand. Uh, how to write a book in three days and become a quote unquote, best-selling author, um, how to become a coach. Uh, some, some programs will certify you in just three days. How does someone know that what is being sold is, uh, and, and let me ask you, so the $1,997, how long does that last normally? Or is it an online? It's usually an online program. That's about six weeks long. Okay. Yeah. So you might go, you, they might teach you, you know, how to, how to start an online business, how to, you know, get an Instagram account, how to create your personal brand, what to put on your website and how to sell packages and programs. Right. And what part of the, um, coaching industry is the most lucrative for coaches? Cause I imagine a business. Yeah. Uh, masterminds for sure uh which masterminds are just essentially 
Why? Why is it called the mastermind? <laughs> so the idea came from way back in the day, like I think back in the 20s, when a lot of people uh, like these old oil tycoons and industry leaders came together and they would get in a room and they would sit and they would talk about what obstacles they're facing and um, solutions for them. And what they said is by coming together and putting all these great minds in one room, that another mind is actually created. And that's the master mind. Um, and so they really use that again to support each other, help uh, support each other's businesses and, and that sort of thing. So that's where the term comes from. So, and it's, it hasn't changed a lot to tell you the truth. Typically you get people in a room, you, you know, this, you it's know, you bring in, so it's, like a community it's a community. Yeah. And it offers support, community, uh, tools, resources. Like I might say, Hey Mike, I'm having a really hard time growing my Instagram. How, how did you do it? You might be like, I've got this great guy named Tony. He's the, he's the dude, you you know, and, and so it's just like <laughs> sharing resources like that. Okay. So it can be super, like these things can be very valuable, just to be really clear. I, I got you. They I, can also not be right. So, so how can someone tell if they would be valuable? Yeah. Because when you're in the mindset of going to something yeah, and yeah. you're being taught I have to think if the coach taught you everything, <laughs> then you wouldn't need them and sign up for this mastermind because they gave you it. So it's almost like they're kind of teasing yeah. the wisdom and show <laughs> showcasing their life or. Listen, you got to, you have to look at the source, right? Look at the source. You got to look at the source. I mean, I see this a lot with coaching certification programs and, and you and I have had conversations yeah. around this. Um, you have to look at who's, who's, who created the program, you know, who is teaching the, the program and have they been successful doing the things that you want to do as a coach or mm -hmm. have they been successful teaching other people to be successful? Are you with me? Yeah. How right. would you, how can you tell the difference? Um, yeah. Well, you look at their track record, you know, have they actually worked with clients? Um, do they have the success stories to, to back that up? You know, have they published books? Have they done TVs? Have they served as expert advisors? You know, you and I have done this. So like, what I'm hearing you times. say is a lot of people will say they've done things that they haven't really done mm. or kind of done. E maybe they will. Um, Maybe, but the bigger issue is, have they actually had success coaching clients and building a coaching business or is their success only, has it only come through teaching other people how to be coaches and be successful, but they haven't really, yeah, they was, don't have a proven I, model. Do you I know, know what I everyone mean? probably gets messages on Instagram yeah. from uh, different uh, Instagram handles that says, want help growing your social media, you know, we can get your social media really. And then you look at their social media and they have no following <laughs> or they buy their followers. Right. And you're like, wait, you're selling me on this thing that right. you don't even have. <laughs> Well, I mean, listen, you also have to take personal responsibility, right? And and use use your common sense. If someone says they're going to certify you as a life coach in three days for, you know, $197 and you can make six figures in your first three months of coaching. I mean, that sounds great. I'd love to do that too, but it's not exactly realistic. I mean, the old adage, if it sounds too good to be true probably is. Do your homework, right? Um, are the organizations accredited, right? Like, so like our institute is accredited, like we are a fully state licensed school. Mm -hmm. um, so the state regulates the curriculum we teach, the certification titles we provide. We pay into a tuition fund. So if something were to happen to our school tomorrow, our students get 
their money back. Right. Um, and then we're accredited We're we're the most accredited, um, nutrition coaching school out there. So you can go on to become board certified. So look for things like that in coaching programs. So look at the founder, look at the curriculum they're teaching. Um, you and I have had conversations. I believe that a lot of the life coaching industry right now was perfectly created for a world that no longer exists. Mm. You know, the last, um, few years, as we all know, have been nothing like we've ever experienced. And a lot of old school uh, life coaching schools still teach things like, you know, open-ended questions and building rapport. And those things are important, but there are just bigger conversations. We're looking at, you know, oh my gosh, racism. We're looking at cultural bias. We're looking at mental health these days. And certainly there are lines that life coaches don't cross. You stay within your scope of practice. We're looking at things like imposter syndrome, decision-making, self-worth. Those are big topics that the new world that we live in demands, but these older schools simply aren't teaching. Right. Um, also outdated are, you know, sitting and watching a video and taking a test and not ever having coached like mm. one of the programs I went through. Actually, a few of the programs I went through way back in the day were like that, which is why I had no idea how to coach people. And it's also why coaches don't feel confident starting their own business or putting themselves out there. They be, they just uh, get caught up in getting more letters after their name mm. um, because they've never had experience actually sitting down with someone and saying, hey, Mike, what's going on? Tell me your story. What, what is the business model typically for hourly if someone wants to be a coach Yeah, and somebody, um, because in all honesty, I, I haven't, I would say the majority of my coaching is free. Yeah. <laughs> um, it, because if someone just needs like a session, I don't really do that. I've, my model has been where I've had some clients retain me for years at a time. Yeah. Yeah. Because I'm like, all over it in terms of uh, uh, advising, creating extra, like really hands-on. So I, I, I've yeah. worked with a lot of people where it's extremely hands-on. Yeah. But there's also the model of, uh, you know, a one-hour phone session. Yeah. And so mm -hmm. if somebody's becoming a coach, what do they charge when they start off in this industry for an a phone session. Gosh, it really ranges. It does. Um, so our coaches, they typically get higher uh, rates because they're they're higher trained. They just have a higher level level of education um, behind them. But you can start at you know fifty dollars an hour, hundred dollars an hour, two hundred dollars an hour, and it also depends on where you live, right? If you're in the Appalachian Mountains, for example, versus Los Angeles, it's going right. to be very very different. So it really does run the gamut. I can tell you that it's a very lucrative business. You can be super successful coaching. Um, but you also need to think outside of just the hourly sessions, which is how a lot of people start. And I recommend that because you see everyone with all kinds of issues, right? And then what you learn throughout that process is, oh, I don't really like coaching people on this, but mm -hmm. I love this. And then you can niche down and, and become you get a specialist. You get the experience. You get the experience. I, I always so think the best thing to do to start is do it for free. Yeah, I agree. And I agree. Get as Unless much, it's family or friends. Correct. And I don't recommend that. <laughs> and and I think having a mentor, which mentor just means someone you can bounce things off of. And that's the yeah. great thing about your school is there's a, you know, it's a built-in mentorship. They get yeah. they get an own personal coach right. when they sign up. Because I think that if you're going to be a coach, you need to be 
coached, right? I think that's really important, but it's also important to learn how to scale yourself. So you can charge top dollar doing one-on-one sessions, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. I would, I would argue that, you know, you and I, like we charge really high rates, but still at some point you become your own bottleneck because there's only so many hours in the day that you can coach people. So you also, and that's kind of an old world way of coaching, right? But the new world way is how do you scale yourself? How do you sell programs online that people can, can download? How do you write books? How do you, uh, host coaching groups, right? Like you, you do this a mm-hmm. lot. You bring people together in groups and you coach them. Um, you can monetize that very easily. You can, you know, you can go to work for an organization in, in workplace. Uh, you can go to work for a studio. Like there's yeah. so many opportunities for you to scale yourself, but that's the new modern way of life coaching. Well, right? I, I mean, there's a lot to unpack. I want to make sure that there's we, so much. Yeah, I, I have another question too. Go ahead, Tony. Yeah. Social media today there's a lot of people preaching and talking about, oh my God, you can do this. You can do that. Like, yeah. how do you define, a? this is a question for both of you. Yeah. How do you define a real coach, a real life coach, a legit life coach versus someone on social media doing a whole lot of this? Yeah. It's a great question. Do you want to go or me? Well, I would probably not find a coach off social media. Uh, I probably wouldn't have that be, I, w- I would probably use Google over Instagram or Facebook, in my opinion, because, you know, I think it's helpful to see a website, to see the experience that you could see reviews probably online. And also, I think coaching, if someone leans so heavily online, there's a narcissism at play that I think it doesn't become about the other person. You know, like I, and it's such a good point that you bring up, Cynthia, because it's, and it's something I've shared with you, Tony, the hardest thing for me with all of this since being on Dr. Phil and like getting Instagram, I don't like the narcissism of it. Like I like to help people. I like to have fun, but I don't like thinking about a caption. I don't like thinking about how many people are going to love this. And I find that Google is a, there's a lot of great coaches you can find on Google. There's a, how many followers someone has is completely irrelevant to how they help someone. That's true. A following is marketing. Someone's following is marketing. It's how they put out different seeds, whether it's a best-selling book, whether it's like content, but it's purely, it doesn't social, social media following and how good of a coach someone is, is like saying, um, bananas taste like steak like (laughs) they're not even we're made to believe it's real but i know coaches with huge followings that i don't even know if they've coached anyone like (laughs) that they put out about coaching they have a message but i don't i i just see the i see them more like um influence an inspiring influencer and not a coach I would agree um, with you that the followers doesn't necessarily tell you how good of a coach they are. Um, I I, I agree with that. There's so many examples I can cite. Um, However, and I do think Google is a great tool. Like look at the reviews, totally agree with you there. But I think um, that that Instagram, uh, I think it's a good starting point. I do. I think that there are a lot of really great coaches on Instagram, Facebook, on social media. Well, they obviously they, they show up. You can do searches. You can look at the hashtags. But that's just a starting point. 
that I think it's fine to find them there, but you got to go a little bit deeper. You have to look at, you know, who, 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 who certified them. If they're not certified, I think that's an issue. Now, I know a lot of people would disagree with me that you don't need to be certified to be a life coach and you don't need to be, I guess, to do anything. You don't need to be, you know, um, a doctor to, to, to cut someone open, but I'd highly recommend it, you know, because when you go through a mm. good training program, there are certain things you learn to do and not to do. You learn how to ask questions and not give advice, right? Coaching is not giving advice. Yeah, you're there, so are, right. there are a lot of cheerleaders out there, but cheerleading isn't coaching, right? There's a lot of Instagram, a lot of coaches who are like, you can do this, you know, like overcome all your obstacles. Like today's a new day and that's great. But, but how, like, even when you say something like, oh, it didn't have, it didn't happen to you. It happened for you. And then somebody comes along and says, okay, Tony, well, I was raped for the first time when I was 10 years old. Tell me how that happened for me and you've got nothing, that's an issue, mm. right? So that's where I tend to struggle with you not being certified and not being credible. So it's a great starting point, social media, but then yes, check yeah, out their website, right. check out their credentials. Who were they certified? Are they board certified, yeah. right? Um, those types of things and, I think and are you're super right. important. And, and, and I think you're, we, we live in a culture where education it's depending on who you ask there's like pride in never completing college mm. and being successful <laughs> but in the category of helping people i have to agree with you that education it shows that you have the discipline and mm -hmm. also that you can follow rules and right. that you don't go rogue right you know like Gosh, even for school to become an alcohol and drug abuse counselor, I had to go through two years, like psychopharmacology. I had to understand yeah. things I never really wanted to understand, but were so helpful in framing and then internship. Yeah. I think you bring up a good point. I mean, I, I have to agree with you that their schooling and their experience and what they're it's critical because otherwise it's like i what i would not look at is best-selling author um <laughs> you know sought after uh celebrity uh coach by the way like that doesn't even mean anything and if somebody's like a high profile celebrity coach like you they're not really really helping you because you're not a like it doesn't even it doesn't right. it's marketing We are out of time. Normally we get to our wizard hat. We'll ask one question oh, no. out of our <laughs> magical hat. Okay. I was going to say, I have one more question for both of you guys. So you don't really want to quick. get into the hat. Mm -mm. I think okay, we're, you, we, we went over time, so we're not this, into the hat. This one's, this, this one's a good question. I feel like both of you guys can answer this. Okay. Okay. Especially in my generation today. Mm. My generation. Yeah. Do you think people play the victim as an excuse? Do you want to go or me? You go first. I think playing a victim is a way of procrastinating. Um, I think that most victims know that they're capable of so much more, but they're afraid of what people will think. Um, imposter syndrome comes into play. They think, who am I to do this? And so instead of taking the road less traveled, sometimes they take the easy way out and they play the victim and they wallow in that place of transformation. Look, I did it for a really long time. Woe is me, right? Until I was like, nah, 
F that, right? Like I got this, I have something to say. So, um, and for some people that can last, you know, a minute or a lifetime. Um, but I think it's a coping mechanism to be quite honest with you. And I will say that sometimes it takes a great coach or a great mentor or a great advisor, or sometimes just a really great book to pull you out of that. Like sometimes people just need a helping hand. Um, sometimes people just need permission. They need to be told they're good enough. They can mm. do it to come out of that victimhood. Mm. I think that, uh, I don't know if it's a generational thing, but I think they have more voices. Yeah, I think so either. I think uh, before when people would just be in that state of mind, it's like people just didn't hang out with them, but now they <laughs> harass you on the internet. So it's like, I don't know if it's more, it could be the same. It's just, you didn't hear from them as much because mm -hmm. you didn't have to, like you just block their phone number or you could just <laughs> stop talking to them or. Yeah, I don't think it's generational. I think yeah, it's across well, the board. Maybe, yeah, you're right. Maybe yeah. it's just more today where people are just playing victim left and right. Well, like, and I the media, it. the media likes to lean into that more today. I would it's say the true. media leans it's into true. it more than they used to. Well, it's a choice. Everything is a choice. And, you know, to your point about like this younger generation, there's so many opportunities mm -hmm. now. Like I remember trying to make a video and host it. It would cost like a thousand dollars. Crazy trying to do that back when I was like coming up. There's anything that you want to do, learn, be, have. I'm fully convinced you can be, do, have. <laughs> like there's not a doubt in my mind. I look at people like Wally267, right? 20 years in prison and now isn't wasting one more day. He got out, started selling shirts on the street. It's like, he's huge now, you know, he's killing it out there doing his thing and helping a lot of people. So I think it's, it's an, ex it can be an excuse if we let it. Um, ultimately, I think everything comes down to a choice. You can always choose how to respond to something. Mm -hmm. You can, you can take the victim or you can be like, okay, how am I going to use this to learn and, and to grow? That that's what I think. Well, if you want to grow. <laughs> Cynthia Garcia, that's your Instagram, right? I am Cynthia Garcia. I am Cynthia Garcia. And also, um, what is the website for your uh, ITN? Um, so it's just called transformationalnutrition.com. And one Instagram at transformationalnutrition. Got it. And if they go to the site, they can get more information, fill out forms, see if they're interested in becoming a part of yeah. becoming a, a coach. Um, you can also ask her any questions yeah. and, uh, please, uh, make sure you click that subscribe button. And also if you rate and review this podcast, it's much appreciated by me and, uh, tag us online when this comes out, let us know what you think. And until next time, keep it magical. And thanks for coming on, Cynthia. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Tony. This has been a Stage 29 podcast production. The podcast is executive produced by Patty Chiano, Laferne Cusack, and Stephanie Kaysen. Our audio editors are Jackson Ruff and Jonathan DeMatty. Callie Kelts is the social media producer. And a special thanks to the rest of our podcast crew, Rwani Horinige, William Cusack, Lisa Clark, Katie Brown, and Morgan Kaler. The Always Evolving with Coach Mike Bear podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only and is not intended as a replacement or substitution for any professional, medical, financial, legal, or other advice, diagnoses, or treatment. This podcast does not constitute the practice of medicine or any other professional service. The use of any information provided during this podcast is at the listener's own risk. For medical or other advice appropriate to your specific situation, please consult a physician or other trained professionals.